when I was when I was a boy, uh, you know, each each year after Thanksgiving, the the countdown would would begin. You know, I'd start looking forward to uh, Christmas, and you know, I, I loved everything about it. I, I loved the just the the feeling of of festivity that was in the air. And uh, you know, a couple of weeks before Christmas Day, Dad would put multicolored lights around the house, and Mom would put out decorations. And uh, you know, our, our neighbors would would do the same. And you know, once everybody in the neighborhood had had their lights up, you know, Dad would load us up in the car, and we'd drive around and look at the Christmas lights in the in the neighborhood. You know, we we'd all go out that same night and pick out a tree bring it home, decorate it, uh, you know, at, at school, at church, the decorations would go up. We'd start singing and hearing Christmas songs that, you know, the TV stations like Clockwork would, would start showing the same Christmas cartoons about reindeer and snowmen and, and things like that. And, you know, some years we would, we would count down the days on the, uh, the Advent calendar and, you know, for me, this was the wonderful, the most wonderful time of the year. I loved Christmas. And, uh, you know, even before all this, my brothers and I would, we would start making our Christmas wish list. We'd get the uh, the, the Sears and Penny's catalogs out and write lists in, in order of priorities. And we would cross-reference the, the page number in the, in the catalogs, you know, just in case uh, our, our parents or grandparents or whatever uh, didn't know where to, to look. And uh, we were horrible children, very childish and, and selfish. And, uh, you know, I, I can admit to that. But, you know, I also enjoyed giving gifts. There's there's a lot of joy in that. And I know my parents and my grandparents enjoyed giving us gifts. And just the the look in their eyes as we devoured the, the paper and, and, you know, it was just a flurry of... Uh, Un- unwrapping that happened, and I'm glad that we did not deprive them of, of that happiness. And uh, you know, I I loved getting a vacation from school. You know, we'd get we'd get a couple weeks off, and that's when the waiting really began. The days were long, and uh, the the anticipation became difficult. You know, that that's part of the. Uh, the Christmas season for us was was the anticipation, the the waiting, the waiting, waiting for the day. Well, the first Christmas was also eagerly anticipated and waited for by God's people. The Old Testament scriptures are, are full of references to the to the hope that was. Part of that waiting, you know, the uh, the Messiah would come, the the Savior, the one who would who would bring peace, the Prince of Peace, who who would bring joy, and you know, all of the uh, things that, that come along with the Messiah, the the salvation. You know, the the Jews had gone through a lot by the time the first Christmas came. You know, he was the one that would uh, rescue the the people. Now, our message today comes from the, the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 2, 22 through 24. And um, if you've never noticed, Luke is the one that gives us the most uh, complete account of the events 
of, of Jesus's birth. You know, Luke was the historian and he begins his gospel account saying, you know, I, I, I made it a point to uh, research this thoroughly and, you know, present the events as they happened in an orderly manner. You know, he, he, he was a, a great reporter. He went out and talk to people and you know the the story is is more complete so we have we have a, a story of two people who were waiting for the first christmas the f- two people two people who were uh awaiting the messiah the the salvation of of israel we see in in this this reading today uh, mary and joseph bringing the baby the the infant child the, the the messiah jesus to the temple to uh, present him so read with me in your bibles luke 2:22 through we'll just read the first few verses 22 through 24 and when the time came for their purification according to the law of moses they brought him to jerusalem to present him to the lord As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So we're, we're really jumping to the, uh, the end of the Christmas story here. This is about, uh, six weeks after the birth of Jesus that that this happens so we're going to look at the people involved. There, there are four people, five, Mary, Joseph, and Jesus, and then Simeon and Anna. We'll start out with uh, Mary and Joseph. What do we, what do we know about them from, from this passage? You know, first we know that Jesus' parents were, were devout Jews. Jesus grew up in a, in a home where the scripture was taught, where, where God was talked about, where the parents were, were devoted to the Lord. There's three things that it says that they do here. You know, first, according to uh, verse 21, which precedes this passage, at the end of uh, eight days, they, they had Jesus circumcised according to the uh, Levitical law. And then Mary went through a period of purification, 30 days. As, as it's spilled out in the uh, Levitical law as well. Leviticus 12 talks about this. And at the end of that purification period, they would take the child to the temple. The firstborn male, it says the one who first opened the womb of, of the mother, would be presented to God's service. You know, think of, uh, think of Hannah bringing Samuel to, to the temple. You know, it was it was a, a dedication. So Mary and Joseph were were devout. We also know that they were uh, they were not wealthy. They were they were not well to do. In fact, uh, people would probably consider them to be poor. We know this because of the sacrifice they brought. They brought, uh, it said, two two birds, two two doves or, or pigeons. And Leviticus 12 specifies that at the end of purification, a, a woman would bring a, a, a lamb for sacrifice and a pigeon or a dove. But verse 12, 8 in Leviticus has a provision for, for the poor. If a person cannot afford to bring a lamb, 
they could they could sacrifice a, a pigeon or a dove instead. So they brought two. They they were unable to afford uh, a lamb. We know that um, their their devotion to the law is is evident. Jesus was brought up in a house where where God was honored. Now look, let's look at the two people. It says uh, were were waiting for the arrival of of the Messiah. The the first is Simeon. It says that he was waiting for the uh, consolation of of Israel. So let's let's continue reading. In verse 25, it says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, you are now now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for the revelation of the Gentiles and the glory for your people, Israel. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. And what do we know about Simeon from this? You know, the, uh, not a lot. We don't know much about him, but uh, what what we do have revealed here is is quite enlightening. It said, it says he was a righteous man. He was devout. This this word devout you know, refers to a, a, a reverence towards God. Uh, Simeon was a man who honored God in the way he lived. You know, it says he was a man. Uh, some I, I've heard some people uh, speculate maybe he was a priest. Well, I, I think Luke would have said there was a priest named Simeon. It just says a man. Just a common man who loved the Lord and was full of the Spirit, had the Spirit uh, upon him, it says. We see in the passage, uh, at least this, at least on this particular day, that he was a prophet. He he prophesied. God gave him words to to speak. The Spirit was upon him. You know, the Holy Spirit's mentioned many times, several times in this passage. It says that the the Holy Spirit had had revealed to him that he would see the Messiah before he died. It says he was he was led by the Spirit to the temple this day. He he came into the temple in the Spirit. Uh, now I would I would surmise that Simeon probably spent a lot of time in the temple. What would he do there? He would worship. He would pray. 
Remember Isaiah, God said about the temple, my house shall be called a house of prayer. You know, God had said this and, and Simeon obeyed. Simeon regarded the temple as, as a house of prayer, a house to meet with God. You know, and, and what a great place to meet the Messiah in God's house of, of prayer. So here comes this, this couple with a, with a baby in arms and Simeon, you know, he's really in tune with the Lord. The, the Spirit's on him. And, uh, you know, I think it's, it's inevitable that Simeon would, would see this baby and recognize him for who he is. You know, some 33 years later, remember the story about when Jesus came into Jerusalem a week before his crucifixion, he came into the temple and what happened? Remember on Palm Sunday, you know, the first, first time he came in, the first time he just went in and looked around. Totally uneventful. If there were any people in there, they certainly did not recognize him for who he was. And he came back later and, and cleansed the temple. The, the temple had gone from being a house of prayer as God commanded to a house of commerce, a, a den of thieves, a den of robbers, he said. You know, it says that Simeon had, had been waiting for the consolation of, of Israel. You know, this, this consolation is encouragement. It's comfort. You know, the people of Israel needed comfort. They needed encouragement. They needed salvation. They need the Messiah, the one who's been promised. And, you know, Simeon is waiting with expectant hope to see this Messiah, this one that God had promised he would see in his lifetime. So Simeon sees this baby. It says he holds the baby in his arms. Now there's something I think special about Simeon that, that we can, uh, we can see here. A lot of, a lot of people feel very hesitant to let men hold their babies, especially strangers. Um, I remember when we were in uh, Longview, Texas, and I was assistant pastor even, there was this one couple that had a, had a little girl named Esme. And I said, oh, let me, let me hold her. And, and the parents looked at each other like, uh, I don't know. Okay, you know, and I, so I'm holding the baby, and I notice they're both just looking at me like they're waiting for me to uh, to drop their their baby girl or you know, break her or or something. But I think we can assume that they willingly handed the baby Jesus over over to Simeon, and it said he blessed God. Simeon blessed God. Just praised him. This was a worshipful moment for Simeon. And he says, okay, okay, this is, this is it. Here he is, God, the one you promised I would see. Uh, here, here is the salvation that you have promised to your people. Here's the salvation that you've promised to the Gentiles. This is your light, Lord. This is this is your glory. You can take me home now. 
So I think that's something else we see of Simeon. He's probably an old man, probably an old man. And I love what it says about Mary and Joseph at this point. It says they marveled at the things that, that Simeon said. They marveled. You know, they, they knew Jesus was special. They'd had some pretty amazing encounters themselves, but they marveled just at what this, this man said, knowing that he was speaking for God. He said, Simeon blessed Joseph and Mary, and he prophesied about the child. Let's, let's pick up in uh, verse 36. No. Let's not, let's not go to verse 36 here. It says that, um, you know, it's, it's appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your soul also so that thoughts from many hearts will be revealed. That's a mouthful there. You know, he's, he's saying, though, that there's... There's going to be a cost. This salvation is, is going to come at a, at a price. There's going to be suffering. You know, the, the, the sign of the cross is like the sign of the, the serpent. Remember the serpent, serpent on the pole that Moses held up. Uh, John, Jesus talks about this in John 3.14 as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son so that whoever believes in him may not perish but have everlasting life. He's saying here some, some are going to accept Jesus. Some of them are going to receive him and believe in him like, like Harold was talking about in John's epistle. Some are going to reject him though. You know, the people's thoughts are going to be revealed. The salvation is going to come at great price for for Jesus, for for God, the Father who sent him. There's going to be pain. Mary's especially going to feel the pain. She's going to suffer as Jesus's mother. And I was really thinking about this this week. You know, Isaiah talks about Jesus, the Messiah, as the one who's a man of sorrows. He's, um, let's see, Isaiah 53. Let me let me turn to that. Isaiah 53, starting with about midway, verse 2. He had no form of majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes, we are healed. A man of sorrows. This this is Mary's son. 
And, uh, you know, we, we think of Mary's sorrow at, at the foot of the cross. Well, think of Mary's sorrow during the time when Jesus was walking around and teaching and being rejected, being despised, knowing that you know, there was there's a group of, of the religious people who were intending to kill him. They were, they were trying to trick him and entrap him. And, you know, they, they, their desire was, was his destruction. You know, what effect is that going to have on Mary to see her son being treated that way, being regarded that way? You know, I, I think that uh, Mary's going to feel her son's agony in a way that no other human besides Jesus can, can feel it. You know, when when she sees the, the nails piercing Jesus' hands, the nails piercing Jesus' feet, when she sees him being pierced in the side after after he dies, you know, she's going to feel that in her own heart. Simeon said she's going to be pierced through her soul. Well, after Simeon's prophecy, Joseph and Mary encounter uh, another person, Anna, who is, it says, a prophetess. And Anna, it says, is waiting for the redemption of God's people, the redemption of Jerusalem. Now we get to uh, verse 36. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin. And then as a widow until she was 84, she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. So what do we know about Anna? She was a a prophetess. She was advanced in age. She was a a widow. Her husband had died uh, when when she was in her 20s, and she'd remained unmarried for the rest of the time. She was in her 80s here. You know, she she was only she'd only been married seven years. And Anna stayed in the temple, worshiping, fasting, praying. It says night and day. And um, just just like Simeon, when when she saw this baby in the arms of Mary and Joseph, you know, she recognized him. She saw him for who he was. And it says she gave thanks to God and she told everybody else who was waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. You know, really Anna and Simeon were were waiting, anticipating, expecting the, the same thing, and that's God's salvation for his people. The redemption of Jerusalem, the, the restoration of Israel. She she knew that this baby was the one who was going to bring that redemption, who was going to bring that salvation. She was waiting for the Messiah and the salvation he would bring. 
And, uh, you know, it's, it's amazing, just simply amazing that Simeon and Anna had this God-given hope which enabled them to recognize the Messiah, the Christ. You know, it's remarkable that they saw him for who he was. It's also quite amazing how many people did not recognize Jesus, even to the end. You know, one, one important thing to note is, you know, that the, this waiting that they were going through, it, it affected them. It, it affected the way they, they lived their lives. Uh, why did... Why did they have this hope that enabled them to wait? It's because, first of all, they knew the scriptures. You know, they were, they were people of the book, people of the Bible. And they were not fooled by the many uh, false messiahs who had, had come along. You know, there were, there were several people who'd, who'd come and gone claiming to be the messiah, claiming to bring salvation, um, during during this time, and Luke mentions a few in in the book of Acts. It's kind of interesting to look. There was uh, Judah the Galilean. He's mentioned in Acts five thirty seven, and uh, Josephus, who was the the Jewish historian, also talks about these these same false messiahs. He was a first century Jewish historian, and he made reference to Judah Judah the Galilean, saying that uh, you know Judah. The Galilean told the Jews about 10 years before the birth of Jesus that it was shameful for them to be consenting to pay tribute to the Romans and tolerating mortal masters after God or after having God for their Lord. And uh, interesting also to note that Judah apparently had a false prophet who was named Sadak. And uh, Sadak likely presented himself as Elijah who, according to Scripture, would, would, was to precede the Messiah. And uh, the, the pattern of false messiahs having false prophets was uh, a familiar thing at that time. Judah and Sadok were credited by Josephus as having founded the, uh, the Zealots, uh, a group that uh, were introduced to in the New Testament. They were, you know, highly political activists, uh, there are a couple other guys. There was uh, Theodos, who's mentioned in Acts 5.36. Uh, Josephus wrote about him also in his book called Antiquities. Um, he, in AD 45, influenced the majority of the masses to take up their possessions and follow him to the Jordan River. He claimed the Jordan would be that that it would part for them at his command, and obviously it didn't. And uh, many of the uh, follower, followers paid with their lives. Uh, there was also an unnamed Jew that, that's mentioned in Acts 21. Well, anyway, uh, Anna and Simeon and Anna recognized the true Messiah. They didn't. They didn't chase after uh, false messiahs. Obedience to God, they have uh, trust and faith in God and, and obedience to God. They knew the scriptures. They knew God. Uh, one commentator says it this way. This passage offers a whole perspective on life and on contentment 
Here are two people near the end of their lives, still serving God full steam ahead. Contentment is not a matter of age or energy level. Neither is it a function of accumulation. It's defined by an openness to serve God and to share him with others. I like that. You know, this hope, this anticipation affected the way they they lived. Well, how does this affect us? How does this apply to us? Are we waiting with anticipation for the second coming in the same way? Is it affecting us the way we live? You know, we can uh, we can learn from these godly people who are waiting for the Christ to come again or to come the first time. We we can learn from them as we wait for Christ to come the second time. Our our statement of faith sums it up. It talks about, uh, you know, we, we believe that Jesus will return in a, in a personal manner. His, his, his coming will be personal. Uh, it's, you know, he's, he's our blessed hope. Our, our statement says, you know, we believe that Jesus will return at any time. We, we believe that uh, this this expectation, this this hopeful waiting, will affect us in how we live. It'll have a vital bearing on how we should live and serve. And like like Simeon, like Anna, we need to be in step with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, uh, as it led him. We need to be led by the Spirit. As he listened to the Spirit, we need to listen to the Holy Spirit. We need to live lives of, of worship and prayer. We need to live in a way that, that glorifies God in all we do. We're to live in anticipation. We're, we're to live in assurance of Jesus' return. I like what Paul says in Romans eight eighteen through 25. When he talks about his life, he says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that has been, is to be revealed to us, is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruit of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we await adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. There's, there's hope in the waiting. You know, as, as our bodies get older, Things quit working the way they once did. As we have the aches and pains and 
as we as as things go wrong, which they will for every one of us. We're all heading on this in the same direction. You know, Paul says we groan. Do you have any groaners here? Yeah. And it says even even creation groans as we wait with this hope, with this this holy anticipation for the for the return of our king. How should this waiting affect our lives? You know, we as Simeon and Anna, we, we need to exercise discernment, you know, waiting for Christ. We need to reject false messiahs. Uh, they're, they're people who come along and, you know, claim to be the chosen one and claim to be the only salvation for, for this country or for this world. There are such people. Yeah, our salvation comes from the Lord and the Lord only. Paul says in Philippians three twenty through 21, and we've, we've talked about this one before, our citizenship is in heaven. For from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Transform our lowly bodies to glorious bodies. I'm looking forward to that. Jesus Christ is our hope. He's he's our salvation. And we wait for him with, with longing. There's, there's no other name that says by which we might be saved. He's, he's coming again. And our hope is in the waiting. You know, that's for those who believe in him for salvation. Well, Jesus came, it says, as Emmanuel. That was one of the names that was, was given to him. Emmanuel, which means... God with us, yes, God with us. What an amazing, amazing thing. This desire that that all would welcome him, to come to him, believe in him and receive him as their savior. It's his desire that, that all would be forgiven, that all would live lives that, that honor him and uh, eagerly wait for his coming. Let me uh, let me close by reading what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, 4 through 9. He says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you are enriched by him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 9, God is faithful by whom you are called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. It's beautiful. And I hope that, you know, as as we just kind of kick back and reflect over the next couple days on on the coming of Jesus that that we take this to heart. Uh, let's let's pray. Let's pray. Uh, thank you Lord for your your great love for us. Uh, 
you know, may we be, may we be enthralled as, as Simeon and Anna were at uh, encountering you, Lord. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for enduring the rejection and the pain and the death on the cross, the suffering on our behalf, Lord, uh, so that we may come to you and have eternal life. Uh, We know that you don't desire that any should perish, but that all would would come to you. And um, thank you, Lord, for this life that you have given us, this this abundant life in you. And so, Lord, as as we pause for the next few days to consider uh, your your first coming, I I pray, Lord, that, that each person here would have a heart of surrender. Lord, we love you. We honor you. We desire, Lord, for you to be glorified in all we do. And it's in your name, Lord Jesus, we pray, amen.